All right, let's get Luke chapter 11, please. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, and we're going to begin today verse number 5. This is part 2 in a small series that we're able to do about prayer. Last week, I gave this series a title out of verse 1, Teach Us to Pray. Lord, teach us to pray. And last last week, we gave you some points of importance out of what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Today, verses 5 to 8, we're going to talk about persistence in prayer. You know, one of... One of the great mysteries of life is how prayer works, right? How how does it work? Because we're only on one side of it. The other side of prayer is up there in heaven. And in Romans 8 verse 26, Paul said, we know not how to pray as we ought, right? It's one of our setbacks. It's one of the shortcomings or what Paul refers to as an infirmity. Praise God for passages like this where Jesus pulls back the veil just a little bit and shows us what is happening on the other side of prayer. We're familiar with our side of it where we knock and we knock and we knock and we knock. But what is happening on the other side? And this story, I think, does a fantastic job of filling in some of the picture. Now, verse 5 says, And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, trouble me not, the door is now shut. Doesn't it feel like that sometimes when you pray? Right? Stop bothering me, kid. (laughs) Trouble me not, the door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. Verse 8, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, is a big word for persistence. We'll talk much about that. Yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. With that being said, let's bow our heads and pray together. Father, help us as we now dive into these verses. I pray that you might guide us into all truth. Pray you might speak to our hearts. I pray you might fill me with your spirit. And Lord, I can think of no greater thing for these next few minutes for you than you coming down meeting with us and teaching us a little bit more about how to pray. Please, God, help us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I find it fitting here. This story is about persistence. That's the theme that kind of rises to the top. There are many things you can learn about prayer from this, from this uh, passage. But later on in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 18, we get another parable that emphasizes persistence. And I find it very fitting that when Jesus teaches us about prayer. He says, persistence, persistence, he he hammers that. He doesn't just teach us once or twice. It's over and over in there. When Jesus went to Gethsemane, he prayed, right? Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He prayed that, right? And then he came and he found the apostles asleep. And then what did he do after that? He went and prayed again. And then he came and he found them asleep. What did he do after that? He prayed again. Sometimes when it comes to prayer, it's all about persistence. You pray and you pray and you pray. In this passage, we have three different individuals mentioned. They're all friends. They're all mentioned as friends, right? You can have friend A, B, and C. Friend A is beleaguered, beleaguered. 
He's on his journey. Something evidently went wrong on the journey. We don't know what, but he surprises friend B because friend B was not ready for this. This was obviously an unplanned stop, or at least the timing of it was thrown off. But this man said, listen, I wasn't ready. I wasn't expecting this guy. So friend A is beleaguered. He's worn out from his journey. He's, He's had a rough day. Things didn't work out the way he wanted. Amen. We've all been there. And then sometimes we are also friend B. Friend B is begging. Friend A is beleaguered. Friend B is begging. Now he has a need and he runs to friend C who is benevolent and will eventually, eventually help out. So you might think of it as beleaguered, begging, benevolent. There's your three people in the story. Also, maybe if you want a different outline, one man is imposing. That's the beleaguered friend. He is is imposing. The next man, friend B, is interceding on behalf of friend A. He's going to friend C, who gets involved eventually, (laughs) eventually. Now, the bulk of our learning is going to come from verse number 8. However, I want to give you a few thoughts from verses 5, 6, and 7 before we get to that. So let's go back through these verses just quickly. Verse 5 starts off as a question. He said unto them, which of you shall have a friend? Well, amen. We have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Amen. Isn't it great that in a time of need, you have a friend named Jesus, right? We sing a song about it. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer, right? What a friend we have in Jesus. You know, it's, when you're going through life, these friend A's, these beleaguered people are going to come knocking at your door. At unexpected times, problems are going to face, you're going to face these problems. And if you don't have a friend C to go to, those are the most overwhelming, depressing, horrible times of life. When you feel completely hopeless, you have nowhere and no one to turn to. Life is going to happen to all of us. Friend A is going to come to friend B's house eventually, your friend B. Friend A is going to show up eventually. Thank God for friend C. Thank God for a benevolent friend, a heavenly father that will get involved, maybe not on your schedule, but he does care. Verse 5, which of you shall have a friend? Well, amen, I got one. Is he your friend today? You saved, you walking with, with the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you have that friend. I hope you found that friend in Jesus. Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight? And say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves. Verse 6, for a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Friend A, if you want to think of this maybe in a, maybe like an allegorical type of way, just looking at the parable, friend A is a problem. Right? He's not trying to be, but he's an imposition. He's interrupting your schedule. Amen. We all have, listen, friends can be problems. You need to say amen right there. Some, the, the, for, for a lot of you, the problem with you is your friends. <laughs> but let, let me say, this is the point I'm trying to get across. These problems that come knocking at your door at unexpected times, they can be your friends. That's what I'd like for you to see. It says, a friend of mine in his journey is come to me. This was an unexpected 
problem that just popped up. This is how life does it. We know that certain things are going to happen. It's just life. But you just never know when and where and how deep and how hard it's going to be. One minute you're just walking down the street, minding your own business. You're on the sidewalk. The next thing you know, the street blows up. I mean, you would think that that's just a preacher exaggerating the problem, but that actually happens in South Africa. The street blew up, and minibuses go flying all over the street. What a wonderful illustration of life. Isn't that how life goes? You're just walking down, minding your own business, on my way to the, to the, you know, the chicken licking, and boom! Everything just goes wrong. Now, you wouldn't look at that and think, well, praise the Lord, the street blew up. <laughs> Who would think that? But aren't we commanded as Christians that in all things we are to give thanks? Aren't we to look at the fiery trials of life as precious moments that test our faith so we can come forth as gold? We look at problems and we say, praise God. I have a chance now to go knock at the door of that other friend. This friend of mine has come to me in a journey. I wasn't expecting it. He may not even have expected to come to my house, but here it is. This is what life has handed me. Thank God I have somebody's door I can go knock at, knock at, at the worst time of the night, right in the middle of the night, and he is willing to listen. Problems can be our friends because they drive us to the door of our Father. They get us closer to God. They get us seeking God more than maybe any other times in our lives. It's those unbearable problems that draw us into the presence of God, that make us knock and knock and keep knocking until we get that answer. I want you guys to help me with this. I know many of you are familiar with the passage in Romans 5. You help me here. It starts off with tribulations. Tribulations work what? Patience. Patience. As soon as the trouble starts, you can't expect that friend C, the benevolent friend, will immediately get involved. Patience. Tribulation teaches you how to wait on God. Tribulation works patience. Patience works what? You go through a few things and you find out how faithful God is. You find out that His mercies are new every morning. You find out that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Tribulation works patience. Patience, experience, and experience. Hope. You find out that I can truly trust God so the next time some friend shows up at my door in the middle of the night, I need not panic. I know right where to go for help. And I'm never going to be disappointed that I had to go knock at that other guy's door for hours. Hope maketh not ashamed. What's the next thing? Tribulation works patience. Patience, experience, and experience hope. What's the next thing in the list? The love of God. For the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. You see, that friend shows up in the middle of the night. And, and, and if you don't have that biblical perspective of God can use this to get me closer to Him, you might end up thinking that's an enemy. No, anything that pushes you closer to your Heavenly Father, that's a friend. You may not understand it as that. You need the Holy Spirit to come in and shed the love of God abroad in your heart to say, listen, we're not against you, we're for you, we're here to help you. 
In Luke 11, do you see it in verse number 13? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give thee? Holy Spirit to them that ask him. When friend A shows up at friend B's house, you go to friend C and why is this going on? And the Father sends the Holy Spirit to say, even though this is a disaster, I do love you and we're going to get you through this. So you can consider your problems as friends. And then there's something else in verse number seven I think we should learn. And he from within shall answer and say, trouble me not, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I'm going to ask this question. Would God ever actually say this? Would God respond in this way? Let's make sure we understand what's happening in the story. Jesus is telling us about a human man who will eventually be convinced to get involved because of his friend's persistence. It's a story about one human being affected by another human. You understand that? But, but the overall lesson that Jesus is going to teach by the time, again, I'll draw your attention to verse 13. If ye then being evil, human beings, we have this evil nature. We're fallen. We're depraved. If we could eventually be moved by the persistent knocking of somebody, verse 13, how much more shall your heavenly Father? So Jesus is using an earthly illustration about one man and how it affects another man. So perhaps God would not respond in the exact same way. This is how a man would respond. But I will say, I think there are a few things we can learn about our heavenly Father and how he responds to our prayers from verse number 7. Listen, folks, sometimes when you knock at God's door, the answer is no. When, when we say, Lord, teach us to pray, I mentioned it last week, I need to remind you today, we're not saying, Lord, teach me how to get everything I want when I pray. That's a different story. When he says, teach us to pray, what all goes into it? Well, part of prayer is knowing not everything you ask for is going to be given. Sometimes the answer is no. When God told the prophet Jeremiah that he was going to punish the people of Israel, the people of Judah specifically, you know what God told Jeremiah to do? Strange place in the Bible, unique place. God said, Jeremiah, don't pray. Isn't that strange? I, I can just see the prophet hearing from the Lord. I'm going to punish them. They're going to be in captivity 70 years. And here goes Jeremiah. He's about to get down on his knees and pray. And God says, oh, no, no, <laughs> not this time around. Jeremiah. I don't care if Moses or Samuel was here praying, I would not change my mind. There are times when someti the sometimes the situation has gone too far and there's no going back. Do you remember the verse in 1 John 5, verse number 16? You can commit a sin unto death. And he says, I say not that you should pray for it. Sometimes, sometimes, God says the answer is no. There's nothing else that can be done. I tried to do everything I could already no, this is the direction we're going. Sometimes you need to understand that about prayer. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. Did it get answered? Not, not in the way that Jesus was requesting. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. It's okay to let your request be made known to God, but just be ready to say, Lord, not my way. Your will be done. Sometimes the answer is no. 
Listen to this. Sometimes the answer is no at the beginning. And you can change the mind of God. Let me give you one example of this, and I think you all know it. The Syrophoenician woman, the Canaanite woman, comes to Jesus. My daughter is grievously vexed of a devil. Please, please, Lord, son of David, have mercy. And the disciples say, Jesus, shoo her away. She's bothering us. we got other stuff to do. We're trying to rest. Eventually, Jesus steps in and says, lady, woman, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The answer was no. I, I, listen, I, I got something else going on with my children right now, working with them, not working with you folks right now. But that Syrophoenician woman, out of humility, out of faithfulness, out of persistence, said, but Lord, even the dogs get a crumb that falls from the master's table. And that humility, that faithfulness, that persistence, even Jesus then made an exception and said, okay, the rule is we're working with Israel right now, but this humility, this kind of faith, this persistent knocking, I'm convinced. Sometimes the answer can be no. And you can change the mind and the heart of God and he can say yes. I'll tell you what, we have a friend. We have a friend that doesn't mind us knocking. We have a friend. Listen, when you knock at that door, do you realize what a compliment that is to him? Friend A came to friend B. Friend B went where? Friend B didn't go around to five or six other doors. He went to one door and he knocked. What? Well, that's a compliment to friend C because he knows if there's anybody that doesn't mind me knocking at midnight, it's friend C. This friend can be moved with compassion. This friend, even though he may not rise up immediately, he is willing to be convinced. He'll actually consider my request. What a compliment to knock at that door and a compliment to further keep knocking. Listen, you go knock at that door and you don't hear what you want and you stomp off, I knew he wouldn't say it. I knew he wouldn't give me what I want. Okay, well then you must not think much of friend C. The fact that you keep knocking means, and you're not going to any other door, means friend C is your only hope. What a compliment. You won't go to any other God. You won't try any other means. God, if you don't help, I can't get help. What a compliment to him. Would God ever respond like this? Well, maybe in, in a sense, yes, God sometimes says no. But then, as we see in verse number 8, he does take on board the desires of your heart. In verse 8, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give, that is at the beginning. And then there's two things that changes his mind. Because he is his friend. And here's really the bulk of my sermon today. The first thing that changes his mind is the personal relationship that he has with this man because he is his friend. Here's this man in bed, warm and snug and ready to fall off to sleep and a knock comes at the door. If he were an enemy or a stranger, this story would be very different, would it not? Yep. Just think this through. I tried to think of this in a South African context. If I had somebody outside my gate at midnight, banging on the gate, you know, some sort of metal thing, ta, 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 up against the gate, hey, hey, and, and I don't know them. I got cameras. I look, out the, I look through the camera, or you peek through a window, you don't recognize that voice, and there's somebody, bang, 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 I'm calling the police. <laughs> I am, right? I'm... It, it, if I'm in a good mood, I might, I might open the door and say, hey, I can't help. 
I, I, I don't know. No, 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 I can't say that. I can't say that. Oh, I was going to say, I was going to say foot sack, but you can't, you can't say that. You can't say that. No, you can't say that. You can't say that. Hey, it's Neil Holtney. <laughs> right? He's not a dog. You can't say that. But I got to admit, it went through my mind. <laughs> anyway, it went through a lot of your minds because a lot of you are whispering foot sack. I heard it. I heard it. It's not just me. You did it too. <laughs> Amen. We're all sinners. <laughs> That's, I just proved it. Now, I, I thought about it. If it was a stranger, now, now honestly, if that stranger, I probably would stick my head out carefully and just ask, what is going on? It, it kind of depends on, on, on you know, what I see there, what I hear there. I would approach that hopefully in a smart way. But, Brother Francois, if you knocked at my gate at midnight, I would, I would not even have, to, you wouldn't even finish the first sentence. If he was knocking at the gate at midnight, phew, something's up. Something's up. And I feel honored that he knocked at my gate. And I'm knocking the sleep out of my eyes and my hair's all over the place and I'm in my pajamas and I'm out there in the freezing cold going, brother, how can I help? <laughs> right? You know why? We're friends. We're friends. That makes all the difference in the world. Having a personal relationship with the person knocking at the door. If you don't know that person, that changes the way you handle it. I want to tell you that your personal relationship with God makes a difference. It makes a massive, it makes all the difference in how your prayers make it up to heaven. And the reaction you get from the throne room, everything hinges on your personal relationship. Before we get to the persistence, we deal with the personal relationship because he is his friend. That man's laying in bed, hearing the knocking. And he yells out, trouble me not. Listen, man, we're in bed. Come on. Good grief. It's just some bread. Go, go, back to, go back home. He's comfortable to say that because they're friends. He knows he's not going to hold it against him. He can say no, and the other guy won't pitch a little hissy fit. Because they're friends. Because, listen, if you're friends, you've been walking a path together. You've been doing things together. You've been getting to know each other. You know why a lot of people get frustrated with prayers? Because they're not friends with the Lord. Okay, let me take this a step further, and I don't want to lose you on this. Please listen to this part. You need to be born again. Okay, full stop. <laughs> you need to be born again. Then you're in God's family, and you can properly call God your heavenly Father. A amen to that? Did you know you're not friends with everybody in your family? Okay, I'm glad I got, the, I got the response I was thinking I was going to get there. Amen, amen. <laughs> it's one thing to be in the family. It's another thing to be friends with the people in the family because there are some people in my family I don't get along with. We don't walk a path together. How can two walk together except they be agreed? There are lots of my family members. We don't agree on a lot of things. And I cannot, by virtue of conviction in the Bible and my walk with Christ, I can't walk with Christ and that family member. Because we don't agree on fundamental, important things. Does that make sense? You need to be born again, yes, to call Him Father, but you need to take it another step. Not only be born of God, but now you need to walk with God. 
And if you have that relationship, that tight, personal relationship with God, it's going to make a difference when you come knocking at the door in the middle of the night. This friend's laying there in bed, knock, 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 go away, go away, man, I'm busy trying to sleep, go away. Knock, 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 keep knock, knock, knock. You know what friends see, the benevolent friend inside is thinking? Okay, this must be really important. I know this guy. We've walked a mile together. He wouldn't be out there begging like this if it wasn't important. He, He knows me well enough to know when to leave it alone and when to press the issue. He knows. And then as that man lays in that bed thinking, why is he still knocking? He realizes friend B is not asking bread for himself. Friend B is interceding. This is intercessory prayer. He is begging bread on the behalf of somebody else. Friend B had enough for the night. He had already settled in. Friend A needed something. Are you with me there, folks? This was intercessory prayer. And that friend inside says, okay. He's not asking for anything selfish. Francois, if you come to my house at midnight and ask for some rusks at midnight just because you're hungry, I love you, brother. But, but see, I would think this is somebody impersonating Francois. He wouldn't do that. <laughs> but I would fully expect if he says, listen, I had visitors show up. Yeah, that's a different story. Nothing selfish about that, which brings me to the next and final point. Yet, because of his importunity, his importunity. First, you need a personal relationship. Not only be a child of God, but then walk with God. But secondly, his importunity. It means persistent. This is true, but importunity actually means overly persistent. It's persistent with a few Red Bulls in them. It's not, it's, it's one of those... You are troublesome. You are troublesome. When I was 14, we didn't call it dating back then. I was going with a girl. I don't know where we were going, but we were were going together. Her name was Andy Miller. And Andy and I, we, we, we went together for a couple of months, and one day I... I was getting a bit insecure. She was out of my league, to be honest. And I called her up, and she said, I don't have time to talk right now, and put the phone down. I said, oh, 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 maybe she doesn't like me anymore. So I called her again. Andy, is everything okay? Mike, I don't have time to talk right now. Put the phone down again. Oh, that didn't go so good. Let me call back and apologize. She said, Mike, come on, man. Stop. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I didn't, I'm sorry that I'm saying sorry. (laughs) Hung up the phone. And before I hung up, I said, will you call me later then when you're ready to talk? She said, sure. But I I made a mistake. I didn't ask how much later. (laughs) It it was this thing. I will come anytime from now. That that, that means nothing. That's that's another way of saying eternity. (laughs) So it started to play in my head. 10 minutes goes by, 30 minutes go by. After about 45 minutes or so, I started getting nervous. Oh, Oh, okay, how can I play this out? So I called her up again 
and said, hey, listen, I'm, I'm sorry. I just wanted to know about, about how long it's going to take for your phone call to come through. That way I can leave and come back. I don't want to miss your call. This is before the days of cell phones, by the way. You, you, how many of you older folks remember corded phones? Yeah, amen. Some of you younger, younger folks don't get this illustration because you're like, take your phone with you, but I, I couldn't take my phone with me. So now I'm, I'm playing this off as I want to I be here to catch your call. Actually, I just wanted to get some sort of approval from her. She said, Mike, I'll call you when I call you. Poof, hung up the phone. I said, oh, this is not going well. What can I do? Well, I was trying to be importunate. <laughs> I rang her again after about an hour. By this point, her best friend, Carrie Peterson, was there. Carrie picked up the phone. And I said, hey, is Andy there? Carrie said, Mike, the relationship's over. She has broken up with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> what you gonna do? <laughs> Pestering Pestering usually doesn't end up so well, right? And, and because of our, that's our human experience with pestering people, especially when we're pestering them with immature, selfish, lustful reasons. People catch on to that. We get on their nerves and that's the end of it. So often what we do is we take those sort of experiences and we say, that must be how God will treat me. God is not Andy Miller. God. <laughs> <laughs> Knock, knock, knock. God, I'm, I'm calling again. Oh, one more time, God. When do you think you're going to be on, on to this, Lord? A any time schedule? I might want to go do some other things. Anything, God? Anything, anything, anything? You would think that we're pushing him away. God is not that kind of friend. If, think about it like this. When this friend B is asking for bread, he's asking bread to feed somebody else. You know, you're going to get a lot more, you're, you're going to see a lot more happen with your prayers if you start praying for others and not just yourself. You know what I've prayed week in and week out for 25 years now? God, give me some bread so that I can give them some bread. I had somebody ask me recently, you know, don't you get nervous that God won't give you something to preach? If it was just for me, I would be nervous. But but God wants you to get fed. And I'm happy, I'm happy to just be that channel, to just be that vessel. I get to play the role of that mediator. That, that I'm, I'm just the funnel. Comes in here, but it goes out to that person A. Listen, watch this. Person A probably doesn't know person C. Have you ever thought about that in the story? Because if person A knocks at person B at the B door and then says, hey, can you help me? He says, I don't have any bread. You just send them to person C. But person B takes it upon themselves, say person A may not know person C, but I have a personal relationship with them. So I'm going to go and I'm going to knock and knock and knock until person C, the bread, the bread, Jesus is the bread of life until person C feeds person A. And I'm not going to quit until person A gets fed. That's how you get a prayer answered. It could be that God has crossed your path with somebody because you know how to get a hold of God. They don't. You won't quit knocking on their behalf. 
They are beleaguered. They are beaten up by the world. They're too weak to go down the road and ask somebody else. They need you to pray them in. I heard one preacher talk about getting them in their crosshairs. And don't let off until you get what you're aiming for. You need to get some people in the crosshairs of your prayers and just keep praying. If you know it's right and you know it's in line with the will of God, don't quit knocking. Just keep knocking. Let me tell you a story I recently heard. There was a wife in England married to an unsaved, wicked man, hard man, hard-hearted man. She decided she had tried to give her husband the gospel and he wouldn't listen. The only thing she could do that she knew was pray. So she decided to pray for him every day at 12 o'clock noon. She did this for 12 months straight. She made a little deal. God, I'm going to pray for 12 months straight every day at 12 noon. And I'd love for you to save my husband as a result of that prayer. After the 12 months went by, her husband hadn't changed a bit. She decided, okay, six more months. I'll keep knocking. And at the end of six months... Nothing had changed. She decided right then and there, she debated a little bit. Should I keep on praying? This is obviously not working. I'm not getting anywhere. He hasn't changed in the slightest. I don't see any more interest out of him. Perhaps I should try something else. She said, you know what? No, I'm going to keep praying. She decided right then and there, after 18 months of nothing, I'm going to keep praying. That night she fixed dinner. Her husband didn't come down for dinner. She thought, well, that's strange. He may not like the gospel, but he likes my food. <laughs> she waited a little bit, didn't want to be rude, gave him some time, still nothing. Called out, nothing, no response. Concerned, as you should be, she trotted upstairs and found her husband on his knees, begging God to save him. On that day that she debated whether or not she should keep on knocking, she said, I'll keep knocking if I need to. It took 18 months of daily prayer for her lost husband, but that man eventually found the Lord Jesus Christ. There were two other ladies. This is a couple centuries ago. They had unsaved husbands, wicked, wicked men as well. And they decided, they banded together, these two ladies. They said, we will pray an hour a day for our husbands. And we'll do it for seven years. That was their deal. They knew it was going to take time to reach these men. Seven years, they prayed for their husbands. After seven years, nothing had changed. They also debated whether or not they should quit. They said, let's just keep praying. They prayed for three more years, every day, hour a day. And one night, one night, um, one of those men woke his wife up in the middle of the night and said, honey, I cannot shake it. I am such a wretch. I am such a filthy, dirty man. If I don't find God, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I, I, I know what I need to do. I've been hearing it so long. I want to find God. Please just help me. Please just pray for me. I want to get saved. The wife went back off to sleep, overjoyed. The next morning, first thing, rose up, ran down the street to go tell her friend what had happened. And her friend come running down the street, met her on the street and said, you'll never believe what happened last night. My husband woke, same exact story. The other lady's husband also woke her up in the middle of the night. Both men got saved on the same night. Ten years praying every single day. Don't quit knocking. Don't quit knocking. Why, there's some of you in this room. I've been knocking for years on your behalf. 
Just want you to know that. Just want you to know that. I, I love you. And as long as there's breath in my lungs, as long as there's strength in my arm to knock, and as long as you're still alive, there's still a chance, and I'm going to keep knocking. By the grace of God, I don't want to quit because I know not, not that person B's knocking is impressive, but person C's grace is impressive. And I'm knocking for you. Years ago, God had put it on my heart to go out soul winning one day. I went out all by myself into a car park. It was a grocery store called Winn-Dixie. I found an older gentleman walking through the car park. I handed him a tract. I said, sir, forgive me. Don't mean to bother. Just handing out some gospel tracts. And this gentleman, gray-haired, kind old, old man, he said, he said, thank you so much for this, son. He said, this, this is a blessing. He said, I'm 72 years old. He said, I haven't gotten a lot of these, but let me tell you my story. I said, I'd love to hear it. He said, I got saved five years ago at the age of 67. He said, God was just so good to me to, to be patient with me all that time. He said, I got married at the age of 20. And my wife invited me to church, but I would rarely go. She would tell me about Jesus and she'd take the kids to Sunday school, but I would always give excuses why I didn't want to get involved. And I just was bitter against her for loving the Lord more than she loved me. But my wife prayed for me for 47 years until finally the grace of God broke through in my heart and I willingly gave my soul to the Lord Jesus Christ. 47 years. God, don't forget my husband. God, we're getting closer to the end. Don't forget my husband. God, don't let him die and go to hell. God, it's important, please. I know I've asked before, but God, you remember so-and-so God? He's still in my house and he's still hungry, God. Let him taste and see that the Lord is good. What faithfulness from that lady to keep knocking. Praise God for friend C. Friend A's are going to happen. You be friend B. You be that interceding, begging friend that just doesn't know how to quit knocking. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. The pianist is going to come in a moment and play something softly. My job as a preacher is just to deliver the message. We are, we are told to do it in a persuading and a convincing way. That's, that's what preaching is about. But I, I cannot, I must not try to manipulate your decision. Right? I just want you to know that for some of you, I've been knocking. And if you're not ready today to give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're not ready today to partake of that bread of life, satisfy the hunger of your soul, I can't force you to eat the bread. But I am praying that God keeps working on you. If you're here today, 
and you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you are not born again, I am begging today. I'm begging you, friend A. I'm begging you. Won't, won't you eat of the bread that the Father's provided? Please? Now I'm begging you, friend A, you knocked at my door today. You came to this church today. So I'm talking to you friend to friend. You understand? You're not my enemy. You're my friend. I'm trying to help. You need what friend C has provided. In just a moment, I'm going to talk to friend C, the all-benevolent, the one that gets involved. And I'm going to ask him to knock at the door of your heart. What a friend we have in Jesus. Before I pray, let me just extend the invitation to those of you that maybe you're saved, but you haven't been walking with the Lord. Maybe you've quit knocking. Didn't see the point of it. Maybe you didn't think it meant that much. I'm asking you to redouble your efforts today. Run to the Father's door and start knocking again and say, God, please work on me so that I can help somebody else. Pray like that. See what God does. Don't just say, fix me so I can be happy. Fix me so that other people can get help. Make me a vessel meet for the Master's use. I'm going to talk to friend C in a moment. Any of you today, friend A, would you be willing to lift your hand and say, Preacher, as you pray now, I want you to pray for me. Go knock on the Father's door for me. I'm not sure that I'm saved, but I'm interested to know more about that bread of life. Anybody like that? Would you? Nobody's looking. I'm just asking. I want to know who I'm praying for. Thank you. I appreciate that. Anybody else say, Preacher, pray for me. I'm not... I'm not completely sure that I'm saved. If I die, thank you, I appreciate that honesty. If I died today, I'm not, I'm not sure where I'd go. I, I think I would, but I'm not sure. Anybody like that? Preacher, pray for me. Anybody? Thank you for your honesty. Father, now I have the distinct privilege of knocking at your door. What a sacred moment. Lord, some hands went up. Might you today put a full stop at the end of their inquiry? Might it no longer be, am I saved? But might they walk out today saying, now I know. I'm saved. Please, Lord, help them. Lord, there are a few friend days I keep bringing before you. They are their friends. They just need to be saved, Lord. And Jesus, you are that friend to sinners. I thank you for reaching down and knocking at the door of my heart all those years ago. Please do that for them right now. Might they feel that knocking at their heart right now, God. And as they depart out of the building, 
Lord, might they continue to hear that knocking. Please, Lord, keep knocking until the door opens. And Lord, help us to keep knocking on their behalf until the door opens. Thank you, Lord. What an amazing thought to consider that our prayers can make a difference. They make a difference, Lord, we know because you said they do. Thank you for it. Lord, as we depart, please, God, encourage each one of these people to keep knocking. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, thank you for being here this morning. Hope to see you tonight, 6 p.m.